Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the Advent season means that we Christians wait for the arrival of Jesus. In our gospel text today, John the Baptist, or sometimes he is referred to as John the Baptizer, was also preparing for Jesus, preparing for the arrival of Jesus to begin his earthly ministry. We celebrate, and we prepare to celebrate, rather, uh, the birth of Jesus in Advent, much like John prepared for Jesus' ministry to begin. Advent, then, is about birth, and it is about preparation, preparation for rebirth. It's about Jesus who is born, and by his coming to us, Jesus makes us reborn in baptism. Advent's purpose is to prepare you to receive Jesus Christ as the longed-for Messiah, the Son of Man, the God-Man in the flesh. And John, John is God's chosen final prophet to prepare the way for Jesus. Now John, he's a PK. He's a priest kid. He's the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, whose relative is none other than Mary, Jesus' mother. So Jesus and John are a sort of cousins to each other. And John, he was chosen to go forth in the spirit of Elijah, meaning he was prophesied and appointed to complete the preparations that were already began in the new, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, in the old covenantal promises. So what does John do? He dresses like Elijah. He speaks like Elijah. And he prepared his New Testament audience as Elijah did for the people of his own time. John's duty was to proclaim a word of repentance. Repentance before the advent or the coming of Jesus Christ. Many came to him, this odd fellow, dressed as he did, and were baptized. But they didn't come to John because of his peculiar appearance, but they came rather instead to confess their sin and be engrafted, brought into the kingdom of heaven. Well, as we know the story, not all were willing to be prepared, to be prepared for Jesus' coming. We also encounter in our text many onlookers, many religious elites and false teachers and the like who gawk at these new developments stirring at the Jordan River's edge with contempt and hatred in their hearts for the truth. This episode in the church's history is an important turning point as John closes out the old covenant that rested in the sons of Abraham and now points to Jesus as, to, as uh, the one who is the fulfillment of those promises. Abraham arrived on the scene to become the father of many nations. Now Jesus arrives as the axe laid to the root of the trees. A new thing is being born into the world. The Son of God has come and will be the one who passes judgment on every nation that ever was, is, or will ever come. 
Jesus then arrives as the culmination of every action that God has ever put in place. Think about that for a moment. That Jesus arrives as the completion to everything that God has ever brought to pass. The entirety of the Old Testament, all the laws and promises, all the bloodshed of the sacrifices in the temple, even on battlefields, everything that may have led you to scratch your head and ask why when you read through the Old Testament is answered in the arrival of Jesus. Everything that God set into motion, all the demands that preserve the foretold messianic bloodline, each seemingly outrageous mandate of God was all for the purpose of preparing the way for Jesus to literally save the world. So when you consider the importance of preparing for Jesus' arrival, consider those things. Consider the historical and prophetic miracle of such a message that it was not in some ancient corner or isolation that Isaiah spoke of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He was at the same time speaking to his own people as much as John the baptizer was speaking to his people, as much as that same message is spoken to you today by your pastor. The miracle is how this one message has transcended the heritage of all of God's people. Isaiah spoke as one far removed from the realization of the prophecy. John spoke as one fulfilling the prophecy. And as for preachers today, we speak as ones anticipating with our people both the celebration of the birth of Jesus, but also the prophecy of Jesus coming again. And we will move on for the Advent season. Maybe we're even looking forward to it. Looking forward to Christmas, which is good. We can look forward and move on in the church calendar from Advent. But the truth and instruction of Advent preparation can never be outdated or outlived in our own lives. John is clear about this lifelong preparation. And he compels you and I today to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A message that transcends all people of God. Repentance only for the moment is lip service. Lip service to God. But a life of repentance is a preparation for the coming of the Son of God. So none of us should say to ourselves, God's kingdom hasn't come, so why should I concern myself with preparing myself for Jesus? That is pure foolish talk. Especially right now, as we think about many of you who, uh, uh, or a handful of you rather, that are graduating from Purdue. Uh, have you prepared yourselves? Maybe, maybe you question that too. Have you prepared yourselves for your career here at Purdue? Hopefully you have. Prepared yourselves for a career by attending Purdue, or maybe some of us uh, can think about other ways in which we prepare just for simple things in life. Like adult things, like buying insurance, life insurance, right? Or preparing ourselves for any other number of things that could come up in a day, a week, a year, a decade. If we don't neglect 
the things that are important for today, tomorrow, or the next in our own life. We ought not to neglect the things concerning our eternal welfare, our spiritual preparations. This has been the true message for all of God's children. We do well to repent and believe. Those two things always go together. We do well to repent and believe as all the followers of the true God have ever done. Today we prepare for the birth and coming again by coming and hearing about Jesus. We come and we prepare ourselves for the birth and the coming again of Jesus by confessing our sins. As Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John to be baptized, the Holy Spirit calls us also by the same message, by the gospel, to enlighten us by his gifts, to make us holy, to keep us in the true faith. When you reflect on how God's, how God gifts, cleanses, and prepares you and preserves you uh, in the Holy Spirit by the gospel, you must see also your connection to those very same people who went into the river Jordan. You too are a baptized sinner. Having a forgiveness that prepares you for a life of true faith, a life which flees from sin and clings to the promise of redemption in Jesus Christ for you. This good news ensures that your preparations to meet Jesus are well underway already. In fact, Jesus has done you a great service by his many advents to you. He comes to you often in word and sacrament and in doing so has established your citizenship in heaven. And that's a very important thing. We have a dual citizenship in heaven and on earth. Before Christ's final advent to us, we are commissioned by grace to be ambassadors to those not yet citizens of God's kingdom. Our embassies, our churches scattered on earth, and these promise refuge to those seeking asylum from sin and every evil. And this good news only elevates the awful and sad scandal of the Pharisees and Sadducees that are coming to John's baptisms. They are a warning to us. They infiltrate God's means of refuge by their arrival. And by their arrival, we see in our text an anti-advent. They do not want sinners to flee to another kingdom. They do not want the true Messiah to come into the world and unseat their power. John calls them a brood of vipers. And later in the gospel, even Jesus himself clarifies what that means. Jesus defines them as evildoers, liars, and speakers of selfish unbelief. John asks these evildoers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Jesus later, as a commentary on John's own words, will say, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? These Pharisees and Sadducees are a people of lip service to God. Mockers of the old covenantal promises and despisers of true faith. They do not want to confess their sins because they do not believe they need forgiveness. 
John with Jesus will not have the mercies of baptism be belittled, since when they mock baptism, they also mock your salvation and despise the one who made that salvation possible by his death and resurrection. So, let us not presume anything. And let us only then stay prepared. Let us not die doing nothing, but instead bear fruit to keep the repentant heart God gives to us and live only for Jesus and for neighbor. As we live and breathe, maybe we can reflect and go, that's no small responsibility. How can we be prepared to fight off presumption, specifically the certainty of idle unbelief? How can we live to bear fruit, to never lose the repentance we are so strongly urged to keep? There is a great threat of hell which challenges our citizenship in heaven. The evil one uses evildoers like Pharisees and Sadducees to whisper doubts into your heart and ear. There are serpents in this world, if you don't already know it. Serpents in this world who nest themselves beside you and won't let you go without striking you with their venom. You must know their poison rages within all of our veins. And maybe take a little comfort in knowing that you're not so special when it comes to falling into temptation. It is the problem for all people. No sinner can prepare himself for the battle against unbelief. And men and women, well, we have a bad track record when it comes to bearing good fruit ever since Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. They could not bear good fruit, and you cannot bear fruit, the fruit of repentance, without Jesus. So to unburden Adam and Eve, God clothed them and promised a seed, a good fruit, an offspring that would come and be their Messiah. Jesus is that seed. Jesus is that good fruit for you. He is that offspring who would come and is come. And is our Messiah. Jesus is that seed, that good fruit, whose advent makes possible the forgiveness of all of your sins. Upon the tree of the cross flows the fruit of Christ's blood that covers all, all of your sins. He has not left your salvation to chance, and he does not leave you to the brood of vipers which surround you. Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He baptizes you and with the Father sends the Holy Spirit to you. Think about that for a moment. That by God's grace, in baptism, our Lord comes to us. He calls you. He enlightens you. He gathers you. He he sanctifies you. Also, that you would daily be able to stare down your demons by the faith he has delivered to you. When you were baptized, you and everyone else did not see the Holy Spirit coming into you, nor did anyone see the fire which both refined your soul and keeps the spiritual serpents at bay. And it may sound odd upon our ears to hear such a description of this, but you are in a way a walking cosmic ball of flame, a light, 
a light lit by the light of Christ for the purpose. Jesus has given this to you to prepare you that you would shine before others so that all may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says that this is the gift of faith, that we would receive the forgiveness of our sins, be freed from those sins, and that others might see the work of God being established in us, in you. Therefore, see that all things have been prepared for you by God, and that you will bear good fruit by the grace of God and by his help, all because the advent of Jesus has come into the world and is coming into your hearts. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.